Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. This is episode 219 of the Small Your Pride podcast, and today we are back with part two of our episode about Beyond the Burn uh, with Morgan Billinger and Lori Skinner, and I hope you all enjoy part two. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old-school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. So all of these things that you thought of, I mean, you know, even thinking of burns on the chest would affect movement of the neck. Is is this, are these things that you guys came up with on your own or is there sort of like a protocol from OTPT that they scan through all these different parts and you sort of tagged on with that? They're, they are just now developing protocols um, in the physical therapy department, but no, these did not exist. We just, we, we took what we knew. I knew I have had, I had a burn patient um, and he was so, he was so tight and he like would walk with his like shoulders rolled forward. Cause this actually started with my burn patients and inpatient rehab where I'm seeing, I'm seeing the end stages, right? Not at the beginning. And I, I'm like, how am I going to get his chest open? Well, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to put him on the mat. Like the therapists are like speech therapists don't do this. Right. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. put him on the mat, his head towards me. Right. I'm on the rolly chair. I took a soft bolster. I put it underneath his spine, right at the like top of his top of his back. So that his neck would drop over towards the mat, like gravity pull his neck back because he had burns on the anterior neck and then on the chest. And then I, I encouraged him and then slowly over time with manual assist, 
got his shoulders to the mat around that bolster just to get him opened up and get that passive stretch. So we just, I think you saw, you saw what you, where you needed to be and where you were started with. And you just, we call it at my house, OM it. My kids did Odyssey of the Mind, which is this yep, yep, problem yep, solving, yep. right? Yep, so yep, we, I did we just, yep. we OM it. Yes. <laughs> OM'd it. That's it, right? I it's love that it. I love looking it. at what you have and looking at what you need and then just making it work. And now everybody uses it. Then we, we shared it, right? We teach other people and show other people. And then if, you know, the OTs or PTs see something that, you know, can help us, we're very open. It's a very, the, it's a word I'm looking for. The, the culture here is one of not, is of taking information from other people and, and getting that feedback or being taught something. Um, so in that way, it's incredible because we're not, we share, we share information for the, for the best of our patients. So there's no, what to your question, there's no, there were no protocols. That's why we came up with the protocol because we needed one person was doing one thing, one way, one was doing one way. We would come in and look at an evaluation that a therapist had done because some of our patients, facial burns come in on a Friday they're only maybe second degree. They debride them, put EpiBurn on them. They're doing well. They're going to come back and follow up in the clinic, but they never get seen by the speech pathologist. So we, we needed them to be able to go grab the protocol. We have all of the therapy materials together um, up in our burn gym. And you just go grab everything and you go give the patient everything that they need. Possibly you educate them, give them the exercises, give them the lip cheek retractor, show them the wear time, and then have them, if they need to follow up an outpatient clinic, one of the burn therapists can do that if it's needed. But we, we needed to have that. And, and what we were finding is we were coming in, people were getting discharged, never being seen by speech pathology or we would look at the evaluations that they wrote and we were missing all this information. So we wanted to make us all using the same practice. So we came up with this just to, just to give us some guidelines on on how to do this. So we're not, we're best, we're, you know, best practice. We're treating these patients based on research and outcome measures. And we're using subjective, not subjective, we're using objective information and measures to drive our treatment plans. Amazing. I love this so, so much. This is all so fascinating. This is an incredible population and you guys have done such an amazing job with covering like the soup to nuts of everything. Involved. Yeah. So it's, it's been a journey and yeah, it's just yeah. continues to, it continues to grow and get better and better and better. So we're excited. Yeah. Awesome. And hopefully even to um, look forward to collaborating with other therapists, especially on dysphagia, but also burn evaluation and treatment island and maybe get, you know, something together where we, we can share resources and just kind of brainstorm with complicated cases. So we're hoping to to do that in the future as well. Awesome. Awesome. Just for us to stress and Lori did a great job of um, illustrating the reason why we go in there and we start from day one, even if the patient is intubated and sedated, we're looking at them as a whole with physical therapy as well as occupational therapy. What 
are the disability risk. We've had patients before in the past that were orally intubated for an extended amount of time before the musculature of the anterior neck was um, basically had a strong enough foundation for them to later receive a tracheostomy. And so it was a bit more prolonged than than probably what would be considered a a normal case or a, a less complicated case of someone substantial burns. But all that to say, because they were orally intubated for such a long time, they developed issue with mal occlusion of their jaw. And so we were working on really active and passive range of motion of just trying to get their teeth to come together. And it was one of those things where, you know, moving forward, Um, And looking back, maybe if we would have rotated the vent from one side to the other so that the ET tube wasn't in the same position. I mean, there's there's so many possibilities and so many things to consider that it, it takes the whole team. It's a whole approach. It's a whole village. And so that's one of the great things about our hospital is we, we really are blessed to have such a great opportunity to participate in interdisciplinary care and just, you know, put our heads together. And you walk into a room and you're laying eyes on them in a different way than the nurses laying eyes on them. And they've worked with, these are, you know, critical care nurses that specialize in the burn unit. They're there all the time. But when you walk in, I mean, and they're receptive to it, but I see something, I see something different. Because they're more, they're worried about blood pressure and, and fluid levels and kidney function and, you know, their, their oxygenation. And we walk in and I'm like, Ooh, that's a bad position because <laughs> it's the position of comfort and the position of comfort is the position of, of disability. It's the position of contracture. So even though we're not arms and legs people, we still promote that correct positioning of that, it's like that Da Vinci, right? You have the hands out, palms forward, a little bit of, of, of angle on the elbow, feet, you know, about 10 inches apart, a little bit of flexion on the knee. You're getting things in neutral, but you're getting them in that natural resting position. And the same with the head. When they're orally innovated, they don't want us likely to do extension which is where we ultimately would want them, but we probably could remove the pillow or at least and put maybe a little bit of foam, maybe a circular foam to reduce pressure because you can get wounds on that, the back of the head. That's not uncommon um, because of the staying in that same position all the time. And like Morgan said, working with the respiratory therapist and the nurse, sometimes it's, you know, they get busy and it's like, really? Cause you know, they have so much to do, but it really, we see that, you know, that torticollis and it's because they have that head turn preference and trying to get people later, it's so painful. And it's just, it takes such a long time to reverse what maybe just positioning could have prevented from the get. And I mean, that, I think that's the great segue for, for treatment. Um, like I said earlier, really what's out there has been well, it's just been done in clinical practice. It's a little bit harder for, I think, at least speech to come in and to try to get recognized compared to PT and OT just because it's it's uh, has a longer history working with this population and um, more basically 
protocols and things that you can go off of to really rationale what you're doing and what you're working on. Granted, we can talk about loss of function. We can go off the norms for jaw opening and and being able to rotate your head and extend your head and um, those kinds of head and neck movements. But when it comes to some of these other things, there really aren't any norms or any kind of protocols. And a lot of it is really social, but also psychological, right? If you want to be able to go out with your friends and smile and enjoy yourself, you want to be able to uh, demonstrate facial expressions and you've sustained second and third degree burns to the face, implementing a facial exercise program is warranted. You know, we're, we're kind of having to basically, we always like to say not having to reinvent the wheel, but there is no wheel. <laughs> we're, we're really making this as we go. And so we're hoping to, to get something started and be able to move it forward in the future that anybody can use it and do it with the proper training and gone through the um, competencies. Ultimately, you know, our goal, I don't know if I spoke about it earlier, but, you know, the American Burn Association recognizes PT and OT, and they have a set of skills that they need to do, a, a population that they need to um, to see and, and have all of this experience before they can get certified. It doesn't, speech isn't even on their radar. So, you know, our goal is to keep promoting it and, and, and go to the ABA and, you know, say, this is what we're doing and this is what we're doing. What does it take to get a speech pathologist to be recognized and yeah. get that, obtain that certification? And then so that we can start making people more aware that this is, this is out there and this is a possibility. You know, we, we spoke about a burn symposium. We went to, I can't believe it was just in February of this year. It seems like uh, years ago that prompted us to, to take this on and get, put some meat on those bones and, and do something with it. And now we have been asked to come back and present at that same symposium. So yeah, it's really been a journey, but it's been, it's amazing what you can get together, you know, when you really just, you take that time and sit down and have that passion to, you know, get something in, in place because we have it for every, we have it for everything else that we do, but this is so new that we've had to kind of think outside of the box, just like, you know, Morgan was talking about facial expressions. Well, we target that kind of thing in a Parkinson's population. So why can't we apply risk for hypomimia yeah. to our burn patients? Right. Because it is a loss of communication. How much, you know, I know I've spoke before at a Parkinson's support group and man, you think you're bombing because there's no communication there. None of that, that nonverbal communication is missed. And, you know, so yeah, we do feel like we are within our scope of practice to target this function in order to improve their quality of life. Yeah. Have you guys had any conversations with the American Burn Association? Uh, we have not. We have a contact, which is, uh, he's actually an occupational therapist and out of Texas, and he has been a great mentor and he um, collaborates with them. So that's kind of like our foot in the door. And we are in communication with him via email and he will, he is one of the lead presenters at the symposium we're going back to in March. And 
we're going to, we're going to work that angle. Yeah. We just have had a lot. We've had a lot on our plate. <laughs> I, I mean, it looks like you guys are just sitting back eating bonbons. I can't imagine. So. <laughs> and exciting is I'm getting a graduate student in Yay. January and it's her first clinical rotation, but she's very interested in birds. Awesome. So awesome. we're, I'm very excited that there's people coming up out of school and already this is on their, yeah. their radar a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is great stuff. You guys, great, great stuff. I know some of the terminology that we, we talk about some people that are, that are newer may not know what we're talking about. I mean, I, you do have to do some research on your own because there is some things out there and, you know, encourage that encourage clinicians that at their facility, if you do see even, and this, I mentioned it before, it doesn't have to be burns. It can be scars because these people, there are people that are in traumas that are have an injury. They may have frostbite, whatever they may be getting these skin grafts and they still are going to have that risk for this scar management. You just have to know with your surgical team, the medical team, what can you move? What can you do? And what can't you do? Mm-hmm. And that's something that that's, that's a whole other topic of treatment because you need to know, can you shear it? Can you twist it? Can you range it from outside of the borders of the graft? And those are all very specific to the surgeon and the application of the product mm-hmm. and where they are, how many days after. So those are kind of things you have, you have to know. But I encourage clinicians to go do your research. What are the norms? Do some of it yourself. Put together your own protocol for your place of work so that you can start, you know, and and look into, talk with your occupational therapist, talk with your PT, look at what ranging looks like, and then apply it to, you know, the head and neck and facial structures. We do it for the tongue all the time. Right. Right. Now we just got to get our hands on the rest of the head. Right. But also to, to encourage them to put their OT brain or excuse me, OT hat on or PT hat on in that we can do splinting. I mean, it's sometimes you have to work outside the box. We've used flexible nasal trumpets uh, to basically prevent nares from closing after severe burns. We've used flexible like chewy tubes and um, like teething rings, things like that to work on mouth opening and providing a good stretch. We use a lip and cheek retractor that we um, will place and eventually have the patient be able to take in and out and hopefully sustain for about 30 minutes or more a day. If they can get up to an hour, that's even better. I think that it's such a foreign concept not having ever done this before, not ever having any kind of education. And then you go and you start seeing patients and you start working with other therapists and you're like, Oh, I can use this for that. And it just starts to click. Yeah. You just, you, the lady that I talked about that had the occlusion and the trismus that had such bad facial burns, she had went through multiple surgeries. So she was in ICU for a very long time. She couldn't actively work with me. I could do manual treatment, but I wanted to get a prolonged treatment of the skin overlying the buccal tissue. Of course, I can't touch the skin because of the grafting, but I can move it. Surgeon, he said, you can stretch it. So I could stretch it. I could go in for 30 minutes and do stretching, digital stretching, intraorally, but I wanted to have a prolonged stretch. So I went into the point of use room and to see what I could use while I deconstructed a catheter 
two catheters and inflated the balloons. And so inserted them, inflated the balloons, and then they gave her that prolonged stretch, the nurses monitoring so she could wear that for three or four hours and get a prolonged stretch. So you just, you, like Morgan said, you're, you just be you look creative, you go in and see what you have, and then you find out a way that's safe, but that can achieve your goal, which is maintaining pliability and mobility. Yeah. Awesome. How, Lori, let me just ask you, how much of a background did you have in sort of working with the head and neck cancer population and manual therapy? Because it seems like you bring a lot of those same principles into this population as well. So I'm just curious. I did, I'm trying to think when I did myofascial release, I was in Miami. I don't know. It must've been 15 years ago. Okay. And so intermittently I would, I would kind of, I would tend to be the one that would work with those patients. I didn't mind getting my hands on patients. Mm -hmm. So, and I never have, I always like to collaborate with the other therapists and, and do that. So that I kind of, that was actually, it was a course out of, I think his name is John. He's a, uh, he's on the university of Florida. So he worked very closely with the head and neck cancers. He was the one in doing the myofascial release and then paired it with vital stem. So doing that um, on the patients that could have it doing that uh, range of motion, doing that stretching, doing that release of that scar tissue, and then using the vital stem. But after taking that class, I actually started to apply that to some of my patients like Parkinson's that have that tension. And even some of our older population where they're just little stiff things, you know, they're just so tight. um, So applied it there. And it just, it makes sense, right? Because it's scar tissue. Yeah. It's just at a different stage and scar tissue, it acts like scar tissue. It's stiff. And it's supposed to be stiff so that it, it's, you know, gives stability, but stability is immobility. So that's, that's what you're fighting against. Yeah. Well, this was just wonderful ladies. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I just, I think I'm glad I that we love. got to yeah get, get back together and yeah, so yeah, that you yeah. have enough material to put it together. I'm excited yeah. to see what magic y'all do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for those of, those of you listening, we had a bit of a, we, we had some trouble getting everything situated in the beginning and then we sort of ran out of time for the last session that we recorded. So we recorded a second session because I just knew this stuff was too good to just, you know, let it go to the wayside. So we hopped back on and, and re-recorded some stuff. So um, I know this will be a wonderful episode for everybody. I, I mean, you two are just, so I feel like you two are just the epitome of what an SLP should be. I mean, you're both just so hungry and, and driven to just bring the best outcomes to our patients and just really thinking out of the box about, you know, different techniques and different treatments and different assessments that have worked with other populations. How does that work with this population? And, and I just, I, I just respect the crap out of both of you. And I think you're doing oh, well, just wonderful, so nice. wonderful work. So yes, <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for giving us a platform yeah, to yeah. share and, of you know, course. so we can all share with one another and, you know, get new ideas and reach out to us. If you have something you're citing, you're working on and, yeah. you know, or if you have a question and. Okay, perfect. So we'll get those in the show notes. So if, if anybody wants to reach out to Lori or Morgan, they will, they will be in the show notes for you. So. Any final thoughts, you guys? Anything else you want to share with the people? No, just, you know, keep being innovative. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because they need, they need us. They need us so badly because our expertise is 
uh, unlike the OT and the PT, even though it, I think it falls to them oftentimes, but they need us. They need our expertise. And yeah, it's absolutely within our scope of practice to be doing these manual therapies for these patients. I also think that, especially for our our new grads, the great thing about our field is that you really never stop learning. Um, It's something that is great because you know that if you love everything, you know, you don't necessarily have to specialize, but um, if you do choose to specialize, you always have the opportunity to learn something new and to bring something new to the table, even as, you know, being three to five, even if you were a year out of school, um, you might have a different perspective. So it's great to collaborate, not just with your own discipline, but other disciplines as Mm -hmm. well. And even outside of the country as well, which is important. I know in some of the um, show, pre-show notes and and form, you asked if there was an important article or resource that you thought was very important. And I was uh, lucky enough to speak and correspond with uh, Dr. Nicola Clayton. And I had some research opportunities and articles that she shared um, with me. And one of those was titled um, Orofacial Contracture Management. It is out of the, um, I want to say, Burn Trauma Rehabilitation Allied Text. It's their practice guidelines, and that was made in 2014. That had some really great information. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Morgan. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, ladies. This has been so, so, so wonderful. I can't yeah, thank you enough. Yeah, thanks. Thank you yeah. so much, Teresa. Welcome. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at teresarichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.